Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think they're a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we decide to talk about light topics and then men just have to be trash. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. Hi. How are you doing today? (laughs) Uh, I'm okay. I, you know, we need to stop saying that we're going to do lighthearted topics and putting that out into the universe because (laughs) it never works out for us. It reminds me of years ago when I was living in Utah and they had just done some remodeling to the Hogle Zoo up there in Salt Lake City. And I was like, I really want to go to the zoo. I want to see the elephants. And literally the next day, an elephant died. And I was so sad that I was just like, well, now I don't want to go to the zoo. And a few months later, I was like, but I still want to go. I definitely don't want to see the elephants. I, I, I want to see the giraffes, though. And literally the next day, a giraffe died. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? It was so sad. So when that happened, I was just like, that's it. I want to go to the zoo and I want to see all the snakes. And as far as I know, nothing happened to the snakes. Because of course not. They're snakes. <laughs> you have the power of, of life and death. But only when I don't like... want something to die. <laughs> But so, you know, you have to kind of reverse engineer it. Well, that's what I tried to do with the snakes, but it didn't work. So (laughs) I have to really mean what I say in order to cause it to die, which is not death. I don't know. (laughs) That's that's really dangerous. That's really dangerous. It's an unwieldy power. Uh, It is. Uh, so for the for, for those of our listeners, I know that some of you are not on Twitter. Um, some of this some of the discussion today is going to be a little Twitter centric. But the reason why we're talking about this is because we literally said on Twitter yesterday, we're like, oh, we're going to do a slightly lighter thing. Here are a few things that we're going to talk about. So send us topics. And then almost immediately within like the next couple of hours, a whole bunch of stuff broke and like film Twitter was going crazy and men are trash so like yeah and the last time that we did this (laughs) the last time that we were like hey we don't actually have any garbage men to talk about um way way back in the day uh that's literally that same day the kevin spacey stuff came out um and yeah so i guess that we should just never ever put this into the universe we're just like no we're gonna talk about really serious things then like nothing will happen (laughs) So, I don't should should we start with the bullshit? <laughs> should we start with the yeah, bad stuff? Let's do the bad stuff, get it out of the way, and then talk about good things and not check Twitter while we're recording. <laughs> so, Kevin Spacey is an interesting segue. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. As we right. all know, Kevin's <laughs> Kevin Spacey, uh one of the last films that he appeared in actually before the whole before we Everything found out how bad he really is. 
everything came out about him and, and all of the sexual assault allegations and, and everything. Um, one of the last films that he appeared in was a film called Baby Driver, which I'm certain that many listeners have seen, uh, which also starred Ansel Elgort, whose name I can never pronounce correctly, uh, as, as, the, as the lead character. So fast forward to yesterday, and uh, a young woman on, now a young woman, uh, on on Twitter released sort of a statement saying that she wanted to talk about um, that she wanted to talk about something that had happened between herself and, and Ansel Egort and she she claimed that he sexually assaulted her when she was a teenager um, that she had this was back in 2014 that she had direct messaged Elgort uh, letting him know that it was going to be her 17th birthday and then he sent her his private Snapchat account she asked for new photos. Um, the, the entire, we're, uh, we'll post the, the link to, to everything in the show notes. The entire sort of accusation is, is very disturbing. Um, and she was basically saying that she felt like this has been, this has been something that has kind of eaten away at her. This was, uh, she says this was her first sexual experience, um, and that it was just a very, very bad time. And, uh, what this has kind of, what this then turned into was, uh, several other young women, who are, again, now young women, who came forward and said that he kind of did some similar things to them uh, in terms of actually getting in touch with them uh, via Snapchat or via Instagram and then giving giving them uh, um, links to his private Snapchat. And usually when they were like, I think one girl even said that she was 13 when they were having this communication. So there, there's there's been a, a broad spectrum of kind of accusations do have to say that none of these have been quotation marks verified uh, in the sense that these are these are accusations. These are not um, criminal cases. This is not these are not necessarily charges being brought against him. And again, as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, bringing charges against someone for sexual assault, particularly many years after the fact, is very difficult to do. And uh uh, so it's it seems pro- it's very unlikely that he is going to get charged with anything, um, and of course this has also resulted in a number of people saying like, oh, sh- these girls are just clout chasers. They just want uh, they just want you know to I don't know become famous for being sexually assaulted by someone. Uh, one gentleman that I called an idiot the other day uh, even said that this was somehow a conspiracy to scuttle the chances of West Side Story winning Oscars, which <laughs> was just fascinating. By the way, you know what? I'm going to say the dude's name. David Poland uh, said this on his Twitter account. He then deleted the tweet, but never apologized for it, and then kept on arguing with people after the fact and said, well, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know who I am. And just You're like, right, no, dude, I definitely <laughs> know. I definitely know who you are. <laughs> like, I know. I have, if, if you, th- this is not my first rodeo. This is not the first time I have seen men like you saying these kinds of things. Yeah. So obviously these, these accusations are really disturbing and, you know, we'll have to see what comes of them or anything like that. This does seem to be a part of a pattern. Elgort has been, there have been rumors about him for quite a while. Um, it was Chloe, uh, Chloe Moretz had made references to uh, an, an, a co-star who had um, treated her, who fat shamed her. There have been a number of sort of rumors that have been circulating about um, 
about him online. And again, you always have to be careful with rumors because rumors are rumors. But when you get that much kind of dialogue going about a particular person, uh, you begin to kind of wonder if something if something is actually going on. So what did you think about all of this? So I know Karen? everybody <laughs> says this when... Um when new allegations come out about somebody like oh i you know there's always someone that's gonna be like oh i totally knew and this has been coming for a long time um but (laughs) in the case of ansel elgort it was really true for me (laughs) i just i've been waiting for something to come out on him for i feel like for years because because it started with that chloe grace moretz interview or i don't remember if it was an interview or if it was on twitter but I very clearly remember her talking about how this co-star had fat shamed her, but it was clearly worse than that. There was more behind it. And she didn't give his name, but she gave both of their ages. She was 16 and he was already like 20. And um, I looked it up because I was just like, well, who's she talking about? Because it was clearly something that wasn't just like you know, making fun of her or whatever. Like it really was painful for her. And I wanted to know who it was. And the only person that made sense was Ansel Elgort. And I was just like, I just, I, and he's one of those people you just get a bad feeling about unless you're a teenage girl, I guess. But, um, cause there's a lot of girls who love him. Um, a lot of guys do too, but I just, I don't know. He's one of those that I would never trust. And now, right now, I'm trying to find, there's um, uh, an article that, like, he did an interview for GQ where he actually called himself dangerous in the article. And it's one of those things where it's like, if someone tells you who they are, believe them. Believe them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's we hear these stories all the time and, you know, and, and we hear them about, about other stars as well. We've heard them, um, you know, Oh God, like I'm just trying, who was it? Timothy Hutton oh, yeah. back when he was a young star, right? That those accusations came out. Um, you, you hear about this and, and it's usually what's, what's the, there's so much that's disturbing about this. And regardless of the girl's age, it would be disturbing. Like if, if, if this was happening to a 35 year old woman, it would be disturbing. The fact that it's happening to a 17 year old girl is especially disturbing because what kind of has come out is that he obviously knows the age of consent mm-hmm. laws in various States. So like a lot of these messages that have been published between him and girls um, is they are girls, right? They're, they're between the ages of like 13 and 17. And then he, you know, it's like, oh, I wish you were older or, uh, you know, so when is your birthday? And those are all the kind of, you know, I, we sometimes joke about it that, you know, there are an awful lot of men who seem to know intimately the age of consent laws from state to state, which is really disturbing. And so, you know, you're talking about a 17 year old girl. So yes, technically she, she is the age of consent, right? Yeah. So this this isn't this couldn't be classified as statutory rape because it it isn't, right? But that's a legal definition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is, you know, and people tend to roll these things out. It's just like, well, this is not pedophilia because she was 17. It's like, okay, I mean, yes, but she was sexually assaulted. And again, this would be horrifying if she was 35 or 45 or 65 or 85, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter 
how old someone is, but then you also get this this man who is obviously chasing after and preying upon very young women and is doing it in a quotation marks legal way, but that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it, uh, it it's, it's definitely creepy. It's, it's creepy whether or not it's consensual or not. Um, but it is, it's, it's especially creepy when obviously she was uncomfortable. She was unhappy. He knew it and he didn't care. Yeah. Uh, this, this was just him preying upon someone who was a fan who was, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, and, and we've talked about all these things, men grooming young women, um, that sort of, that, that beauty and that attractiveness of celebrity. I'm a famous person and I'm paying attention to you. If, you know, a 26 year old famous person is paying attention to a 16 year old girl, that's a red flag. That's not romantic. That's not a good thing. That is not, you know, something that's desirable. That's like, why do, why do you, a grown up man want to be with a teenager? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I found the uh, the GQ quote that was really like, ooh, it's, um, this is from 2014 when he was like the GQ breakout star. Um, Girls love it when you have something, oh, when you have some weird nerdy thing in your room. It makes you look less threatening, even though I'm like very threatening. I'm the most threatening guy ever. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Cool. But- I mean, isn't that, those are the words of a fucking predator. Uh-huh. If you're like, oh yeah, I totally keep some nerdy things around so the girls will feel comfortable with me before I do whatever I want to. Like, that's what it sounds that's like. That's exactly what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. like and, and this is coming at a time when, you know, there have been um, accusations what, in, the, in the comic world. Uh, or the comedian world. I guess com- comedy. Yeah. There we go. Uh, about what's his face, Chris, Chris, Chris Delia, Delia, who I did I had never heard of before this. I only knew him and as then the guy who had the weird fucking sex dungeon in You. In season two <laughs> of You, he plays this guy who basically rapes women and goes after a teenage girl. It was very weird that that, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, there you go. The timing on that was uh, a little odd. Uh, and, you know, and recently, I think just yesterday, there was uh, this, this video that came out of Joe Rogan and some of his bros talking about, you know, forcing women to give them blowjobs in order to go on stage at comedy shows. And so, like, this this is, as we've talked about pretty much ever since this podcast has begun, um, uh, the the culture of, of, of sexism and misogyny and, and of assault and of Pre, um, uh, predatoriness and predation in comedy, in film, in media in general is is very dangerous. And you know, I, I think that it takes a lot, it obviously takes a lot of bravery for any of these women to come out. Um, it's it's always difficult because then, especially when you have something like this, where this this girl just posted right an accusation. Yeah, this isn't a particular journalist or anything like that. This isn't Ronan Farrow investigating anything. Uh, then that just opens up this kind of pathway to people disbelieving her, to saying like, oh, she's just clout chasing. She's just she's just trying to ruin his career. Um, and you know, and of course, certain members of film Twitter managed to show their entire asses yet again. Who also happen to be the ones who think that there's nothing wrong with Woody Allen, uh, which is 
interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to just jump in and say, though, as far as these things, like with the Joe Rogan thing, with the Crystalia thing, um, whether what is what they're being accused of is true or not, the fact is that they're saying these things, they're making a lot of comments and jokes about this stuff, and it just really makes me think about 2016 when that Trump tape came out and my, you know, people that I am very close to and related to were trying to dismiss it as just, that's just how guys talk. And I'm like, but why, like, you know, because they didn't think that he had actually done the things that he claimed he did. He's just bragging and stuff. And it's like, but why is it okay in your mind for anyone to talk about women in that way? And why is it okay to create this culture where women should just accept that that's the way that they're spoken about, regardless of if mm -hmm. any of this is acted on? And this is all part of a larger problem. And, I mean, I believe these women. I believe all these women. But especially because... <laughs> Nobody gets famous in a good way for coming forward with sexual assault <laughs> allegations. Yeah. Um, name one that ever has. I can't, <laughs> you know, but, um, but that's the thing. We, we just have this weird problem in society. And I, that's a very, very collective we is, um, I know you and I are not part of that, but it's just this, this weird idea that like, well, it's fine to say things as long as you're not doing them. And then when you find out someone's doing it, well, but that's not really true. We're going to discredit the person who has no reason to lie or very few reasons to lie over the person who talks about doing these things. It doesn't make sense and it never will. Yeah, it's it's that boys will be boys mentality. It's toxic, it's toxic masculinity, the, the kind of stuff that... You know, I feel like we've been taught, we've been talking about it forever, but we've particularly been talking about it since 2016 and since, since the Harvey Weinstein allegations, and since uh, me, uh, the the kind of rise of Me Too and Times Up, all of that. Uh, we've been having this conversation over and over and over again, and and what I think I'm finally fed up with is that there's no excuse anymore to have this kind of attitude. There's no excuse to immediately respond to a sexual assault allegation with, well, she's just trying to get famous. Yeah. Um, you can't say, well, you know, I'm, he's just not educated about this kind of thing. It's just like, no, you have to have been like ignoring everything going on since at least 2016 mm -hmm. um, in order to continue to think like this. And so, so no, so at that, at that point, you're just like, no, you're a rape apologist and you are you are engaging in this kind of culture and i don't want to have anything to do with you and you should also shut the fuck up like that's that's kind of the point that i'm at where i'm like i don't there there's there doesn't seem to be a, a sense that you can even have a, have the conversation because you can't educate you can't educate people when you just like look at everything we've been talking about publicly right for four years mm -hmm. How are we still? How are you still in this mentality? And and that at that point, it's it's the person's fault, right? Well, and also, if boys will be boys, then why do you always blame the girls? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I just it doesn't 
it's stupid and it's just a way of excusing and i mean women do that too it's not exclusive to men yeah. just shrugging and going oh no there's nothing wrong with it or she looked 18 you know it's women permit this too and just try to do it because then it makes them feel better about loving the men in their lives that are trash yeah, it's it's that, and and I th I think that this is something that again, and we've talked about this in different contexts, um, but I feel like that this is something that a lot of men in media are also missing. That when a woman, you know, women are the gatekeepers of patriarchy in a lot of ways, right? And that has been that has always been true. Again, this is this is a pattern. This is not something that we just made up last year. Um, this is not something that has just developed into a cultural phenomenon. This has been consistent throughout, throughout the history of patriarchy, for fuck's sake, mm -hmm. um, is that the patriarchy always uses powerful women or women spokespeople as the gatekeepers because it's a way of maintaining control over the same gender. And, and, and you see that. And, yeah, you see women that are gaslit. You see women who have basically decided to participate in this kind of patriarchal culture as sort of a way of protecting themselves, even though, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily conscious, but it, it is a way of protecting yourself. You're like, well, if, if I play, if I play along with the men, then I'm not going to be targeted. Of course you will be eventually. Um, and, and that's something that we have to recognize. So citing, you know, one female critic or one, or, you know, well, my mom says that this is okay. It's just like, that doesn't count, dude. That doesn't excuse anything. And that doesn't undercut any of the claims or any of the things that women are talking about. Um, you know, we have, we have to weed out the, the gatekeepers within our own uh, gender and within our own system, just as much as we have to uh, get rid of the, of the toxic masculinity. And it's a big daunting challenge, and that's why, you know, people just put band-aids over things and hope someone else will fix it. Yep. Pretty much. So, <laughs> speaking of people that we're getting a little bit tired of, um, this is going to be briefly a little bit more about film Twitter, and for those people who are not on film Twitter and who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, we're really sorry. But this also has broader applications, as we have been discussing. Yeah. Um, so I think that we could probably say his name because I, he, he's pretty public about how much he throws a tantrum. <laughs> um, so the film critic, Alex Billington, who is, uh, the site runner of firstshowing.net, correct? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to talk about this. Uh, he's a wine uh, baby who whines. <laughs> and also So he's a film natural. critic. He's he's a film critic, and uh, and he uh, the, there was a recent story that came out um, that was literally referred to by <laughs> by numerous critics as being an amusing box office story. It's just like, oh, this is funny, you know, it's it kind of cute and everything. <laughs> so there there was a group of filmmakers uh, who had made, I believe, even made a film in quarantine. Yeah, they made it right? over. Zoom. They made a film over. Yeah. And so they shot a short horror film and they they decided that they were going to rent a theater, buy out every seat and screen it for out without an audience and then say that they had the number one movie in America, mm -hmm. which they did. That's pretty uh, brilliant. You know, I mean, I, that's funny and it's a good use of time and resources in a time when everyone is just stuck at home. 
Yeah, and so, you know, I remember seeing this. This popped up on my feed. I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's cute. That's a cute idea. Like, haha, you know, no one's, no movies are being released in the theater. And this, like, little indie short film, it was number one in America. Awesome. For whatever reason. <laughs> and I still com- I still don't completely understand what his actual objections are because he ranted for a very long time without actually stating them openly. Um, Alex Billington came out and, and said, and this is, this is his tweet. Okay. (laughs) This is online. This is not brilliant. This is shameful and ridiculous and fuck these guys. No, really fuck them. So obsessed with faux success that they had to use a loophole. Nah, they only deserve to be condemned for this. So a number of people were like, what the fuck? Like why I don't understand. And (laughs) yeah, for the most part, for the most part, he just kept on saying, like, no, this is bad, this is evil, this is a terrible thing, how dare they do this, on and on and on. And uh, I still haven't been able to figure out what his actual objection was, other than the fact that these guys used a loophole and and manipulated box office. He calls it fraud. He says it was fraud. <laughs> so... Well, no, it actually was the number one movie. And and I believe that that one of the filmmakers actually responded. It was like, dude, we were just having... Yeah, Eric Tabak. Yeah. Eric Tabak commented. <laughs> he said, this was supposed to be super lighthearted and fun. See? We can't do lighthearted and fun because film Twitter ruins it. <laughs> um, Not just film Twitter. I mean, just people in general. Everybody. And then he says, here's the documentary, or the video documenting how we did it. And then he has like a YouTube video about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, I think the reason why, you know, other than the fact that this is just kind of silly, um, I, I think the reason why this this bothered me a little bit, uh, and and I I sort of talked about this over Twitter, is that the, this particular critic is known for throwing public tantrums on Twitter and in person uh, years ago. You may remember him as such hits as... <laughs> years ago, years ago, I think the first time I'd ever really heard of him was that he actually called the police... 911. ...on someone, because someone was using a cell phone in a movie theater. Okay, so the, he called the police. Like, actually phoned them. It wasn't just at the movies. It was at the Toronto International Film Festival. <laughs> I read the story yesterday because I was like, I need to know more about what this was. And yeah, his excuse for calling 911 that he thought they might be pirating the movie because it's going to be released later this year, which the 911 operator laughed at him, which I loved. (laughs) (laughs) She's my hero. Um, But he reported it to the festival people first and they were like, this is a press screening, dude. Everyone's allowed to have their phones out. That's how it works in press screenings. Which, yeah, it's annoying, but you don't have to go watch stuff at the press screening. I, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. It's like, we all have been annoyed by people busting out their cell phones in the middle of a movie theater. I don't think that I have ever, for even a single second, thought I should call the police. Like, no. that's not... I know, and I'm a white woman, and apparently that's what we do when we get angry, but I have never for once in my life thought that I should call the cops. <laughs> I think the only time I've ever called 911 in my life, or like two or three times when I've seen very clearly, clearly drunk people on the freeway, and I was da- I was afraid because they were dangerous. Yeah. That's it. I don't... 
call 911 for anything. You call 911 <laughs> when you're in fear of your life or when you think someone is being killed or, you know, you're... Or there's a medical Or there's a medical yeah. emergency or you're witnessing a, a crime or something that you know is a crime. Like a serious crime, yeah. not piracy in a movie theater. Um... So, so this, this kind of, and, and, and here's the thing, and he defended, I don't think he ever apologized. He defended himself for days upon days upon days about this. Yeah. Uh, recently, actually, what was this, a year ago, two years ago? Last year at the Venice Film Last Festival. year, yeah. He pitched another fit about embargoes and claiming that he was going to, um, that he was always going to break embargoes because it was... A, it was an affront to like, it was like a, a violation of his civil rights or something like that. Yeah. And it's draconian. Um, mm. And, and I, because he was, well, the whole thing was he was mad because he saw a movie at a press screening and wasn't allowed to publish his review until eight hours later after the public screening. Uh, yeah. And so, and so again, people kind of mocked him for this. People were like, and, and again, it was that kind of doubling down on, uh, no, I'm 100% right, and and you're all fools and charlatans and all kinds of shit, uh, and you're stupid. Like that's that seems to be one of the things that he kind of retreats to a lot of the time is if you don't see what's wrong with this, then then you're just you're just dumb, and you know I can't believe that you don't see this. Um, he's mocked other critics for taking big budget films seriously. I actually got into a fight with him. Uh, Myself and another critic got into a fight with him over discussion of the ending to one of the Spider-Man films. Um, and so, and this is a film critic. One of the things that bothers me more so, not just about him specifically, but, but this is kind of symptomatic of a, a number of male film critics, uh, is, is the degree of privilege that this expresses. This whole thing about calling the police on someone using a cell phone in a movie theater this whole thing about refusing to obey the rules of a film festival that he's covering as press right that he's agreed to obey certain rules mm-hmm. um this isn't like and embargoes is not are not something that is just suddenly introduced that where where you're just like ah by the way you can't you're not allowed to write about this film this is a, this is pretty common right um yeah and so it's it's this expression of privilege and and as as we have seen, calling nine one one on someone can endanger their lives. This is this, and and it's this idea that the things that concern you that you're that somehow you your life is being violated for very very minor things. And so, what I find really frightening about some of this is how much privilege this expresses. And how we see it in the behavior of other male film critics, how we see it in the behavior of uh, even other white female critics, of having a certain degree of clout and having a certain degree of privilege that they just think, I can behave and I can say whatever I want to. And anyone who disagrees with me or anyone who says, hey, dude, calm down, uh, is not just wrong, but evil at some level. And so I, I do find this very disturbing. So on the one hand, it's a bit funny because he's kind of become notorious for this and it does begin to feel a little bit like he's putting on a show. Um, on, on the other, he's, he's behaving in a way that is just so exceptionally privileged and dangerous in some ways. So what did you think about all of this, Karen? I know that you, you pointed my attention to it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, I think you just said it very well i mean it's funny and like it's he's easy to make fun of because he's stupid whiny baby who whines but 
But it also is symptomatic of a more serious issue where we're in an industry where film critics are attacked for bad reviews. Um, they're attacked for good reviews sometimes. Um, you know, and it comes from everywhere. It comes from fans, like crazy rabid fans who just don't like it when you have an opinion that they think you shouldn't have. But it also comes from filmmakers too. And so it's like, we're already getting attacked enough. Having to defend ourselves for just our work. And then on top of that, having to contend with people like this who really do make a lot of us look bad. I know most people understand, yeah, okay, there's a few bad apples, you know, but it when you have one that's so willing to be outspoken about stupid crap or even like just having a stupid opinion about something that's not crap, like the embargo thing, um it really does kind of put a cloud over the work that we're all trying to do. And it makes it harder for people who are trying to break into the industry and trying to build a name for themselves to be taken seriously in an industry where it's already hard enough. And so I, I think that while it's, it's easy to pile on him and make fun of him, it also, it's past the point where he needs to start being actually taken down for this stuff and it needs to stop being tolerated and it's it's like with jeff wells the fact that jeff wells still has advertising on his website that he still gets to go to events and things for being a vile human being who brags about not even finishing movies you know it's it it just adds to or or perpetuates a culture that is deeply disturbing and very very in need of reform and yeah, I, I think that's it's that's why this needs to, yeah, we should laugh and, and mock him, but we also need to take this seriously and, and really encourage people to stop letting this be something we only laugh at and there needs to be actual, like, something needs to be done about it. Yeah, and, and I mean, we've been, we've talked about, you know, various male film critics who've been accused of assault, who've been accused of harassment. Um, of course, we had all of the stuff that went on, went down with Devin Faraci and uh, Harry Knowles um, and Alamo Drafthouse and all this. And, and recently, the, the whole, everything that happened in, um, uh, with Cinestate and their connected entities uh, yeah. You know, we have, we have to recognize the fact that the film, film industry and film criticism are very connected to one another. And in much the same way that the film industry, film criticism is not particularly regulated, right? There is no really, there's, there's a way to report harassment and stuff like that. But at a certain point, if, you, if it's not something that you can actually report directly to the police, there's nothing that can be done about it. Right. And so the only way to kind of, again, weed out these this sort of behavior is to essentially say that we're not going to tolerate it. And everybody has to say that they're not going to tolerate it, um, that it can't just be a bunch of women saying it, it can't just be, you know, a, a couple of critics saying it. It has to be everyone saying, like, this kind of behavior is dangerous. It is damaging. And if you do not stop, you're gone. You don't get access anymore. Right. You don't get attention anymore. Um, we can actually say that this stuff is not acceptable. 
and not participate in it. And and I do think that that is that is important. Now I'm not saying that that you know Billington is is harassing people or anything like that, but some of his behavior does border on harassment. Calling up calling the cops on someone in a, for a cell phone in a movie theater is harassment. Like that is its own kind of harassment. And again, it creates this culture of danger and this culture of privilege. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and and also I'll just I'll just push my little my article that in which I responded to him last time, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. which is on our website. So you know, if you want the kind of a primer on what has been going on, you can go look at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on to something. Let's move on to something a little happier, and then we'll get a little sadder, and then we'll get a little happier. <laughs> Um, a a little, you know, I I say happier in quotation marks, it's definitely not lighter, but so, uh, the, the movie Candyman is, has been, you know, pushed around just a little bit because of COVID and because of coronavirus. I think that it is finally, does it have a set release date finally? Uh, what is the release date now? Um, I think it's like September or October. Yeah, uh, September 25th. September okay. 25th. So right now, this is Nia DaCosta's Candyman, uh, which is a remake slash sequel of the 1992 film Candyman, which is based on a Clive Barker story. Uh, and and it's it's a very... The, the original 1992 film is a very interesting story, um, somewhat problematic in places, and I think there's been a lot of critique about it recently, um, but still uh, kind of a, a fascinating look at at horror and at race and at slavery in particular. So this has been kind of pushed around just a little bit. And as a result, we're getting some interesting marketing that is coming out of Candyman and particularly coming out at this time when obviously we're having a lot of national conversations uh, about race and about racial violence. Um, And so the, as a sort of, I guess it's a trailer. Maybe it's more like a short it's a, it's both, yeah. and it looks like it'll actually be in the film. It looks like it could be the title cards or something like that. That it could, it could yeah. be related to that. Um, so the, it, so they released a short film uh, which depicted the origin story of Candyman uh, using shadow puppets, and it's shadow puppets that tell, um, that tell us that tell stories of. Uh, white on black violence and that kind of showed the origin story of Candyman, but also is um, depicting depicting its connection to a broader concern and a broader concept. And one of the things that uh, the director, Nia DaCosta, said is that Candyman at the intersection of white violence and black pain is about unwilling martyrs. The people they were, the symbols we turn them into, the monsters we are told they must have been. Uh, the Shadow Puppets are by Manuel, uh, sorry, Manuel Cinema, and are very seem to have a, a lot of relationships to previous depictions of Shadow Puppets. They reminded me of um, Lottie Renniger's films. Yeah, uh, that was like the first thing the the way that they're manipulated, the way that you actually can see sometimes the hands that are moving them and that are manipulating mm-hmm. them, um, and that, that. Well, in fact, go on. Yeah. Well, I was telling you, like one of the. <laughs> I saw some people referring to an artist named Kara Walker, and I didn't know who she was. I'd never heard of her, but they showed some slides, 
of some of her work. And I was like, oh, that does look familiar. And then one of them, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's from The Adventures of Prince Achmed. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely not Kara Walker's work. Because <laughs> she was not born anywhere close to that time. <laughs> so, anyway. So, so it's yeah. it's a great short. It is. Uh, I even saw a number of people saying that you know if, if I paid fifteen dollars and this was all they showed, I would be fine with that. It's <laughs> it's a very haunting and frightening short. It's very powerful, and I think the the use of those shadow puppets um, is part of it. It's almost storybook like, and that makes it very mm-hmm. disturbing. Uh, some of it reminds me even of this of the scenes of the storybook in the Babadook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because you think of kids' stories as being, you know, even the ones that are a little bit frightening, they always have a good ending. They give you this sense of of security and and whatever. And these are definitely, this one, the one from the Babadook, definitely don't have that same sense of, of security and safety. And so, yeah, so it's like storybook, but not comforting at all and but hauntingly beautiful um yeah i mean like i told you i could spend a whole hour just talking about this two minutes and what is it 30 seconds or whatever yeah it's it's a fantastic work of film like it's really Mm -hmm. is um it really is like an it's a story in itself you know what the story is and and i i will be really interested to see if they if they integrate it into the the final release of the film or what it like what part it actually plays in all of that what i would love to see honestly with how beautiful it is like if they had plans to put it in the movie don't show it ahead of the movie and make it an an animated short film that is eligible for an oscar on its own (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) like it's 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 wonderful and it and we do have to say again this film is nia DaCosta's Candyman. Yes. Uh, yes. Jordan Peele is involved. He he produced it, and I believe he had a hand in writing the script. But it is her film. She directed it, and she also wrote it. So, going to keep that in mind. Yeah. Don't want any more Definitely. Jordan Peele's Candyman. It's not that. It's Nia DaCosta's yeah. Candyman. Yeah. But yeah, I just I mean the company that made this short film, um, trailer, segment, whatever it is. Um, they have done all kinds of really interesting work for um, different medias or media mediums. I don't know. Uh, words are hard. But um, mediums. They. Yeah, but isn't that what media is? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, we can we can argue semantics later. I I don't want to go into that right now. I know. I know. But, um, but yeah, they, they, they have a whole range of different work that is this very interesting shadow puppetry, very, very in line with the kind of work that Lotta Renninger did back in the twenties and, um, just beautiful where they use projectors and, and all kinds of things to tell this, this story. And, I didn't realize until this came out that I've actually seen some of their work before and they have a website we can make sure to link in the the show notes so you could check it out because they're really, really talented group. And it's only like five people that do all this. So, yeah. 
It's really cool. I, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to Candyman. This, this is one of the few films actually that I was very disappointed uh, that it had to be pushed because, I mean, obviously it had to be pushed, but there's, yeah. there's also a little part of me that's kind of like, could you maybe just release it on, on streaming? I would like that too, just because I really want to see it. But, <laughs> <laughs> yep. <sighs> All right, let's see what, <laughs> what else. There's no way to segue. <laughs> Uh, in, into the next thing, uh, we do have to say that, um, and we found out about this yesterday, that Ian Holm passed away at the age of 88. Uh, and of course, Ian Holm, who's had a a long career, uh, stretching back into the 19, I think the 1970s at least, and he was a stage actor for many years before that. Um, but he's probably most well known to to a lot of contemporary film goers as uh, Bilbo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, in in Alien in Ridley Scott's uh, 1979 Alien. So it's very sad. He was old, which is good. You know, uh, he's lived a very long and had a fantastic career and a fantastic life. Uh, but he, he really was just a wonderful actor. And actually one of my favorite performances of his is in, um, I think it's 1969, uh, version of Midsummer Night's Dream when he plays Puck and he's just delightful in that role. Uh, so do you have a particular role that you just remember him from Karen? So I actually, um, years ago after, you know, Lord of the Rings came out and was really popular, I that was it took that long for me to finally get into audiobooks. I I love physical books, you know. And so it was I was always reluctant to read them, but one of the transitions for me was listening to stuff that's more of like audio plays. And I somehow got my hands on the set of The Lord of the Rings from I don't even know when it was recorded. It was way 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 before um before the movies came out, but it was Ian Holm voiced Frodo. And it was, I mean, it's, I know there's so many movies we could talk about, but it was really fun hearing his take on that character when up until that point, I best knew him as Bilbo Baggins, you know, to hear him as Frodo was really cool and a little bit weird, but it was really fun to listen to that. And I mean, of course, I, you know, I love Brazil and um, oh, yeah. Alien and all that. But that's that's one that stuck out to me. I It was such a fun, uh, a fun thing to listen to. If you ever get a chance to check it out, I suggest it. He was one of those actors that really just he was always a welcome presence whenever he showed up in yeah. a film and you, and you recognize him cause he's very recognizable. He's, he's in many ways for, for most of his career, at least in film, he was a character actor, right? He's very, rec- he's mm-hmm. this very recognizable person, but he was always so delightful and so enjoyable to watch. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sad. I'm always sad when this, when this kind of thing happens, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. he was, he was an old man at least. And that's good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really got to have a long life and a really brilliant career. I mean, just looking through his filmography at some of the ones that I forgot he was in, you know, like yeah. Time Bandits and Chariots of Fire and, um, uh, what did I just see? The Aviator. It's like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot he was in that, too. And 
it's yeah so it's sad but at the same time this is definitely someone that we can you know really celebrate Mm -hmm. we can remember very fondly uh okay so let's see let's see this has just been this has been a wild week that's all i have to say like it has been crazy so um do we want to talk about amc reversing their their policy uh yeah amc being dumb and then being dumb and then being kind of smart but only because money is involved and then still being dumb so <laughs> that's basically what happens so you know i guess i feel like we're kind of beginning to get back into the sense of like oh things are reopening you know things are are getting are moving again whether or not they really should be which is yeah that's a whole other conversation which is a big issue but they are you know one way or another um so amc and uh, uh, recently announced that they were going to be re- they were going to start reopening their theaters um sometime around july 15th uh, which is when 90% of their theaters will, will basically be eligible to reopen. And initially in their announcement, they had claimed that they were not going to require masks. Uh, because they didn't want to get involved in a political debate. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this created a, an outpouring of response of people, basically, including myself, basically saying, I'm not going to go to your fucking movies if you're not going to require masks, right? You know, and and he, and here's the thing. Movie theaters are vectors of disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a whole lot of people packed into small rooms with not very usually not great sanitation. And I'm not saying that as, as like a, a burn on AMC employees or on theater employees. People are underpaid and these theaters are understaffed. You can't really sanitize to the degree that you need to be And able people to. that go to the movies are dirty, dirty pigs. Are gross. Yeah, I mean, hell, we even had, mm-hmm. I think that a couple of years ago, we even had an argument about like, should you drop your food, your like empty food containers on the floor of a movie theater? It's like, no, why would you do that? What is the matter with you? Yeah. Uh, like I, what? But yeah, people are disgusting. Um, and so, so then to add on top of that, a literal pandemic and a very infectious disease. Uh, and then to say that you're not going to require patrons to wear masks, uh, which has been proven to be a, a good blockade against this against transmission of this disease is just why like that's that's the big question and that it's a political maneuver that is that is like well we don't want to get involved in politics just like it's public health it's not politics how is this political um exactly amc very quickly reversed course uh so like they announced it one day and then the next day where they, they were like never mind we are going to require masks uh, I'm still not going because I don't want to get a disease. Uh, and and here in New York, there is at least one AMC theater that was known for being the uh, source of a bed bug infestation. So that's not happening. I don't trust Jeez. you people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So they said they're going to require masks after all. Uh, okay, great. But they're not going to require them while people are eating and drinking. And in my experience going to the movies, when I get popcorn and a drink, I'm eating and drinking through the entire movie. So you're basically not requiring masks. And I understand it sucks to sit there and watch a movie and not have, you know, my popcorn or whatever. But whatever. It's a movie. It's fine. I'll live. It's two hours. I can handle it, you know. 
And I understand. I get it. Please don't yell at me. I understand that for theaters, the bulk of their their money comes not from ticket sales, but from concessions. Because the theater or the studios gouge them so much for just showing their stuff. Um, but there needs to be a smarter way to do this because now they're not they're they're saving face or trying to save face by saying oh yeah you're right we'll we'll go ahead and require them but giving themselves a loophole and the thing is too what's what's really unfortunate is the people that are in the position of having to enforce this are like you said underpaid understaffed employees you know it's really unfair to make a 17 year old kid who's getting ten dollars an hour to go and tell some sweaty, gross old man, like, you gotta put the mask on. That's so unfair to do to people. So, I, you know, my initial reaction before this week when they announced they were reopening, uh, for the last couple of months, I've just said, you know, whenever the theaters get to the point where they decide to reopen, I'll probably go because it's going to be lower capacity and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'll probably go. I'll support it. I don't have anyone depending on me not to get sick. So, you know, if something happens, it's fine. But now I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to support this. It's not a good idea. It's not safe. And I don't, I don't feel comfortable being, you know, being part of that. Yeah, it, it's, I, I have more or less come to terms with the fact that there is a strong likelihood I will not get to go to a movie theater within the year. Uh, yeah. and, and that I might be wrong, like the things might change and, and things that I might feel differently, but it just seems like such, it seems like an unnecessary risk. And, and I've said before, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get horribly sick be, to, in order to go see Christopher Nolan's Tenet. I'm just not, that's not something that's important yeah. to me. Um, and, and that's, that can be disappointing. I want to go back to movie theaters. You know, I, I want to live, live normally. Like I think everybody does, but there's, you have to think about other people and you have to think about yourself and what, what risk you're willing to take. And to me, just like going to a movie theater is not worth it. Uh, there's a lot of other things that I can do to entertain myself and to enjoy art. And, and that can be disappointing. That can mean that I might not get to see certain things. Um, but that's okay right. with me, honestly. It sometimes you just have to look at what's really more important. And um, it's, it's really interesting. It, I think in all of this, the thing that frustrated me the most about what AMC did was when they specifically said they didn't want to get involved in a political debate because the only reason that public health is a political debate is because people keep saying that it is. If if people would just, if the folks that are on the side of we're going to do what's best for the interest of public health would stop acknowledging the people that are trying to say, oh, it's a conspiracy, it's this and that. If they would just say, this is what we're doing, then it wouldn't be a political debate because debate has to be two-sided. So it would just be, this is what we're doing, and then you'd have a bunch of people mad about it, and whatever. That's fine. They can go die mad. Whatever. But, but yeah, when we keep pushing back or having conversations about it, and some of those conversations are in the interest of trying to, un- or trying to educate people who refuse to be educated, but uh, it's just really not worth the time. Yeah. And I, it's 
tangential to that, I saw something someone wrote earlier this week that I wish that I, it was one of those situations where I read it and it was really good. And then my Twitter feed refreshed and I have no idea who said it, no idea where they said it, but, um, it was the point of the, the point that they were making was that somewhere along the way, the United States went from being all about, like the American dream went from being all about asking what you can do for your country to becoming just very selfish and we we switched our idea of freedom to mean not you know sacrifice for the betterment of others and for the the benefit of others but freedom now means just whatever i want to do and it's it's really sad because you know we we have the fourth of july coming up where we honor people who went and fought and died so that we could be a free country and instead of honoring that sacrifice we're mocking it by the way that we behave Mm -hmm. now and by the way that we just only care about ourselves anymore and it's it's really sad to see that yeah so i think that at the end of the day everybody just wear your fucking masks and don't put your wear your fucking masks. don't put yourself (laughs) and other people in unneeded danger there's there's just no reason to do it and and again it does mean that sometimes yeah we've sacrificed a lot of shit there's a lot of things that i wanted to do and i you know i don't want to be stuck inside my apartment as much as i have been but in the interests of public health and in the interests of keeping myself healthy and keeping my neighbors healthy, that's what I've done. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you I mean, have it's... the privilege to be able to do that. Right. That's just it. You know, like this week in California, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that um, the numbers of COVID cases are rising in the Latino and black populations. Mm-hmm. And people were trying to say, like, oh, well, that's because of all the protests. Like, no, it's because those are the folks that are working in service industry jobs that are considered essential, serving all the white people who have the luxury of not going out to their jobs. And, um, yeah, it's it's really, I don't know. (laughs) Nobody wants quarantine nobody wants this to happen this is not benefiting anybody except for everybody who gets to live yeah exactly (laughs) so so yeah wear wear your fucking mask uh we do have some in the store and i will add some more this week yay different sayings on them (laughs) yes but they are there now (laughs) yay masks (laughs) oh my god this in fact wear your fucking mask is gonna be a mask in our store uh this episode is just going to be like emotional whiplash constantly um so i'm just going to keep on moving right down the line it father's day is coming up this weekend uh so we wanted to talk briefly i guess about what we actually wanted to talk about more than like how men are trash is that there are actually we're gonna spend the whole hour on this (laughs) is that actually there are some men that aren't and so we want to talk very shortly about some of our favorite hot movie dads (laughs) and there are many of them one that immediately came to my mind was gomez adams because he's the hottest movie he dad. is the hottest movie dad first of all in the films he's played by Raul Julia who's hot to begin with 
But also, like, he loves his kids. He cares about his kids. Um, you know, even when they do things that maybe he doesn't necessarily approve of, one of the things I love in the Adams Family Values is that that Gomez and Morticia find out that their kids want to go to summer camp, or they think their kids want to go to summer camp. And this is not a part of their values. This is not something that they support, right? But they're like, you know what? This is something that, they, that our children want and that our children, you know, feel like they need. And we're going to love them and support them in pursuing that. And I really like that. And I think that there are very few cinematic parents that behave like that. They're just like, this is something that our children feel like they want to do. So we're going to do it for them, even though we don't necessarily approve of it. And I, I, I always really mm -hmm. liked that. So yeah, Gomez Adams is definitely, I think, one of the hottest of hot movie dads. Absolutely. And one of the things that makes him so hot, too, like one of the other things that makes him so hot is how much he loves his kid's mother. Yes. That is so important for kids to see that. And he, the two, Gomez and Morticia have this really sexy and beautiful relationship separate from their kids that is so relationship goals, but also it's really important and healthy for their kids to see mm -hmm. that. And, um, I just, yeah, I love them so much. Yes. Yeah. That's a great choice. Yes. I love Gomez Adams. No, I was, I was actually remarking earlier that I, I'm really glad to see so many, um, just television and cinematic couples beginning to move more in that direction of like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it's not the fun loving man child who is, you know, uh, basically protected by the. The, uh, the very serious wife. It's like, no, these are fucking weirdos who are weird in the same way. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So who are some of your favorite hot movie dads, Karen? Um, you know, one that I don't think we talk about nearly enough, and this is on the same lines of like a really great couple that are great parents, but that's um, Stanley Tucci in Easy A. Oh, Yeah. Oh, man, I love him and Patricia Clarkson and their relationship to each other, their relationship to their kids. Also very supportive, loving parents. In fact, they remind me a lot of Gomez and Morticia. And now that we're talking about this, I'm wondering if they were patterned off of them at all, because that would make sense. But Stanley Tucci also, like, oh, there's something about that man. I just love him. No matter he's he's such a chameleon. No matter what character he's playing, he just kind of disappears into that role. But he's just so hot. I love him. But yeah, Easy A. <laughs> sorry, went off on a little <laughs> moment there. But um, he. I don't know. I'm sure most people have seen the movie, but uh, Emma Stone plays this girl who there's this rumor that goes around about her. She kind of accidentally starts it, but she's not the one that gets it pushed her on campus but she gets slut shamed and branded as a whore for something that didn't even happen and it's a really interesting commentary on how girls are treated versus how boys are treated at that time where they're becoming sexual and just watching the way stanley tucci as her dad tries to without even necessarily knowing what's going on tries to give advice but he never is pushy about it. He never interferes. He's like the right amount of involved. Mm -hmm. The family is just funny together. 
they spend time together. They actually all genuinely like spending time together. And it's so refreshing to see. I love it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, the other one, and I, I, I don't think he really qualifies as hot necessarily, but, um, <laughs> but the other one that I, I just thought of because I watched this movie last night with some friends uh, is, is uh, Dan Hadaya and Clueless. And mm. he is, and yeah, he's not like a hot movie dad, I guess, but he is a good dad. Like he, but that's the thing. Good is hot. That's yeah. That's, that's part of it. It's just like, he's really sweet. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and yeah, and in some ways he depends upon his daughter to take care of him, but he also really does take care of her. And there's, there's this wonderful moment where she's basically, you know, she's talking to him about, have, about being in love with the guy and it's, it's her stepbrother, which, you know, you can get into the slight weirdness of that. Uh, <laughs> but, but he, he says to her, but, and, and she's like, well, and, and, but he's not really interested in me. He's interested in someone else. And he's like, well, then he's just an idiot. Like, and I don't know if, because you're the most wonderful and kind and beautiful girl ever. And I don't know if you want to, if I want you to be with a guy who is that stupid and doesn't recognize how wonderful you are. And it's really, really sweet. Like, it's just like, you know what? Good dad. And he knows what she's talking about. And he's very supportive of her and very protective without being, you know, too macho like i'm going to show off how big and tough i am or anything like that and it's really really cute yeah well along those lines too that reminds me of josh hamilton in eighth grade a movie that i have very mixed feelings on but he is such a sweet dad and he does not know what the fuck he's doing with a teenage girl who's about to go into high school and he's trying to raise on his own but he tries so hard and he loves his daughter and he just wants to make her happy and it's so sweet and i love it (laughs) plus he's really cute yes (laughs) um so so i know yeah this one's i thought so there are good there are good movie dads it's one of the nice things about these uh, about some of these dads is that they they actually are good male role models like we're saying they're nice they're kind they love their kids they don't always um say or do the right things but they try and they try to understand and they try to like get what their kids are going through even that they can't they can't always completely understand it they can't always be there they can't always protect their kids and that's really endearing and it's good to see the the representations of fathers that are that really are caring right and that this is saying this is good you don't have to slut shame your kids you don't have to you know um be be overly masculine or anything like that. Like I'm going to beat up my daughter's boyfriend or anything like that. It's just like, no, honey, I love you. And you know, I want to, I want to make certain that you're okay. And that's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I love you and I trust you and go make good choices. It's one of the scenes in, um, Oh, what was that movie on Netflix last year with John Corbett? Um, Oh, uh, Oh, it's good shit. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's a good movie dad. <laughs> yes, he is. And he's hot. Um, oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, um, to all the boys I love. Yes, there we go. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously he's not the main character of that, but I thought of his name because yeah, he's isn't he a gynecologist a, in that movie? He's a gynecologist and he's like Yeah. He's very sex positive. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. He's very the opposite of what's-his-face from uh, Larry Miller from 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. <laughs> where where he actually, you know, John Corbett's version, he loves his daughter. I mean, obviously Larry Miller does too, but he trusts his daughters. He trusts that they have good heads on their shoulders. And when his daughter's going off to some weekend thing, he hands her condoms just in case, like... <laughs> I don't need to know. I don't, I'm not judging, but here you go. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, yeah, dads don't, it's, it's funny. It used to be funny, the whole like, oh, I've got a shotgun ready for when my daughter's date comes over. But that's just, it. it's not funny anymore. It maybe probably never was. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, and it's honestly, that's part of why we have such a messed up culture is because it it's always been that, you know, it's instead of teaching boys to be respectful, it's, you know, punishing them if they're not and then, you know, slut shaming the girl. Yeah, know. it's it's that that whole thing that the father is supposed to be the guardian of his daughter's virginity or or something right. like that or sexuality, and and I do mm-hmm. always I like it when when films kind of do that sort of that sort of like this is my little girl and I'm going to look after her you know and and that that can be sweet but it's also you know I I, I think most of the guys that most of the men that we're talking about here are ones that that do trust their children and that say like. Mm-hmm. I want to protect you and I know that I can only protect you so far. And so I'm going to try my best to, to be able to do that, but also know that you're going to go off and live your own life and that that's something I have to accept. Um, yeah. They respect their kids as people and not just as like, you are my child, you are my baby or whatever. And, and to some extent, they have to trust themselves a little bit. What's the line? I think it's in Father of the Bride, actually, when the two dads are talking to each other. And one of them says, I think it's Brian's dad, says, you know, at some point you just have to let them go and hope you did a good job. And I, I'm i glad to see that there are a lot of examples of dads that see it that way mm-hmm. um, instead of the, you know strong macho protector because that doesn't benefit anybody that doesn't teach a good message and you know it it honestly does the opposite it teaches girls that you know they can't protect themselves that men have to be the ones to do that for them Mm -hmm. and that that's what they should expect you know i was just telling someone the other day that you know part of part of the reason that we have so many problems like in a particular group that I'm in is because we were all raised on Disney movies <laughs> and and some girls never grew out of that and they're still waiting for their handsome prince to come along and that doesn't exist and there was nobody to teach them that that's not how it works, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and all of the fathers are either stupid or absent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're not involved or... And, like, there are so many examples where the fathers are either not involved or they're too involved in the wrong ways. Yeah. And it's just, they're, it's good when we can look at positive examples of fatherhood and good examples of how to do it right. Yes. 
Yes. So, so happy. Chris Pine is a hot movie dad in Wrinkle in Time, but not a good movie dad. (laughs) No, he is a hot movie dad, though. And he does, he does, he is getting better by the end of the film. Yeah. Like he's trying, he's, he recognizes the mistakes that he's made. I think that that's the other thing is, is that, you know, we're saying like none of these, none of these dads are represented as being perfect. And, and I, I do like it when they represent these fathers as being like, as fucking up sometimes, but also being able to get past that and try to be better fathers. And to know that they are responsible for their kids, that their kids shouldn't be taking care of them. They shouldn't be the adult in the relationship. Exactly. So, so happy Father's Day to all the hot movie dads out there. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, We did have a question, which again, you know, speaking this entire episode is just emotional whiplash. Um, (laughs) So we did have a question from at Monty Hawes. Who are your favorite queens of screwball comedy? Uh, and he, he lists a couple, many of whom I would support absolutely. So Carol Lombard, uh, Irene Dunn, Myrna Loy, and Roz Russell. Roz Russell is one of my favorites. Uh, I, I think that she's wonderful. I also love uh, Catherine Hepburn, who is probably one of the, mm-hmm. the top, you know, in terms of screwball comedy heroines. So do you have any that you particularly love, Karen? Catherine Hepburn was the first one that came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love her. And... She's probably the one I've seen the most uh, films from. So, yeah. Uh, the other one that I thought of was Barbara Sandwick. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who we ca- we tend to forget is a very good comedian. She, you know, she was in Christmas in Connecticut. She's in, um, one of my favorite roles for her is uh, The Lady Eve. Oh, yeah. Um, where she just, the, the, scene, the scene where she basically, I don't know how to put it, she, she, tortures henry fonda by <laughs> stroking his hair and it's it's just so funny and so sexy at the same time you're like wow i don't know if i should be watching this um mm-hmm. and i i always love gene arthur i think gene arthur is again one of those underrated actresses gene Arthur's great, yeah. yeah she's she's wonderful so so yeah so thank you for that question monty uh and let's just close this out because you know we're just moving everywhere talking about everything this time i think that we're going to go back to more specific topics next week uh but let's close this out with what have we been watching so are there films that you've been watching recently karen or tv shows you're just like oh this has been great yeah what have i been watching um I rewatched Interview with the Vampire this week. I keep finding Tom Cruise movie. Well, they keep finding me. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and so, like, honestly, it's really funny. I made a point to not go searching for any. I'm just like, if I'm scrolling through something and I find one, cool. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm up to 20 Tom Cruise films during quarantine <laughs> that I've just found. Um, not even trying. And I just located two more yesterday when i was looking through hulu for something else and i was like oh risky business is on here when did that happen (laughs) like and yeah so i know what i'm doing later but um (laughs) but yeah so i watched that uh and then this week i rewatched a couple of movies that from last year that i love which ready or not um, oh yeah Henry Cesarni is kind of a hot movie dad, but also definitely not a good one. <laughs> uh, 
And Knives Out, I watched again last night, and it's so random because just now my coworker texted me and was like, hey, have you watched Knives Out? Which I told him to watch, like, months ago. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I've seen it, like, 12 times. <laughs> uh, one of them was yesterday, so, yeah. That's kind of what I've been watching. I also saw um, Amazon has a new movie called 7500. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. And it's with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And um, I actually, I watched it for uh, some interviews that I did. But um, the film itself, it's... Sorry, I wasn't even expecting to do a review. But I guess I'll do one really quickly. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it's basically... Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays this pilot on an airline. And it's like he's living in Europe. And... There are hijackers that take over the plane. They're trying to get into the cockpit. One of them does. Uh, The pilot, he's the co-pilot. The pilot ends up getting shot. And so he's responsible for this entire plane of people. The whole film takes place in real time. And you never see outside of like, I mean, you see outside of the cockpit, but the whole thing is filmed from inside the cockpit. So you'll kind of see what's happening in the plane, but it's through the... Uh, video screen like through the cameras and uh. stuff you can see what's happening outside at the airport but it's you know through the windows of the cockpit so really interesting in um uh in its um in what it's trying to do really interesting from a technical perspective because it's actually pretty fascinating how they put it together the story i found a little bit lacking and I was not comfortable with the fact that it's very clear the terrorists are like this Islamic cell Mm. and it just felt like the timing on this doesn't feel very good (laughs) um honestly felt it made it feel a little bit irrelevant uh that's not the right word um I don't know it just it felt the timing on it felt weird Mm -hmm. I wish that they had not gone into who the hijackers were, but I also know that part of the point of it was not just about um, this actual event. It was that there's kind of this interesting conversation that takes place between the pilot and one of the guys that gets in, and he's this young kid who's been radicalized. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting concept, and I think that on, like I said, on a technical production level, it's really well done. But the story I found lacking. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, like there's one female character in it and she's only there to serve the male lead. Uh, that kind of thing. It's like, uh, this could have been developed a little bit better. But considering it's the director's first feature film, it's like, well, all right. He's got, he's definitely got some potential there. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. it, do, it does sound like an interesting um uh, an interesting technique, like, or, or uh-huh. concept, uh, even if it maybe it doesn't pan out as well as it should have. Right, yeah. Uh, I think just for the technical aspects of it, it's definitely worth watching. Mm-hmm. They they bought a decommissioned um, A320 and were able to, like, they just got the forward third of it, I think. And they were able to kind of chop it up and and move things around just enough so they had room for the film and stuff but or for the crew but they were really filming inside a plane cockpit and um 
like while they're flying along the you know the board that the pilot faces everything mm-hmm. like there's the instrument panel everything's lighting up and stuff and that was actually sequenced exactly like it would be if they were really flying over the places that they wow. were supposed to be and stuff it's actually really uh really fascinating how they did it that's really interesting that's some, that sounds like an interesting combination of films <laughs> yeah it's a weird week <laughs> you think this episode has whiplash <laughs> Well, I actually, I, I've been having a similar experience. Um, so I've been, I've been watching a lot of 90s slashers. Uh, <laughs> most, nice. Mostly because I find them, I, I've been watching them when I work out, and I find them very uh, distracting, which I like. <laughs> so, like, I've watched I Know What You Did Last Summer. And Run From the Killer, Run From the exactly, Killer. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So I, awesome. I watched I Know What You Did Last Summer. I watched I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, and I watched, yesterday I watched Urban Legend. Nice. Um, you picked some good ones. Which not yeah, all of them have been a lot of fun. I Urban Legend, yeah. Urban Legend. About halfway through, I was like, "So, can we just kill all of them? Because I hate all of these people. <laughs> I want them all to die." Uh, have you never seen it? Before? I had never seen Urban Legend. No. Oh yeah, yeah, that one's fun. Uh, yeah, when I say good, I I mean it's fun. Yeah, I, and well, all of these are. I mean, they're not good films but they are right, they exactly. are fun films they're entertaining films very entertaining um i think i'm also gonna gonna rewatch some of the scream movies which are good films i will make that argument i did the whole quadrilogy or whatever the word is last week uh-huh. it was so fun I, I think i did them all like in one day i've i've seen scream multiple times but i've not seen the others multiple times and so i would kind of like to rewatch some of those uh, yeah. On the on the other side, of it, um, I watched uh, Visconti's Death in Venice, which is a very good film that I never want to see again. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 honestly brilliant, but it is soul crushing. Like it's just de- it's a devastating film, uh, and it, it's wonderful. It's gorgeously photographed. It's beautifully acted. It. Almost nothing happens for large sections of it, but it, it's very absorbing nonetheless. And and by the end of it, I was like, well, my soul is just dead now, so I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I saw that. I, I saw Paracelsus, which I reviewed on um, uh, on the on the website, which is a, a Nazi-era G.W. Pabst film, which is very interesting. Um, not necessarily what I would call entertaining. It's not light entertainment or anything like that, but it is an interesting film. And, uh, and then the other day I watched, um, Black Peter, which is an early, earlier Milos Forman film, uh, from the Czech New Wave, which I found hilarious. Uh, I don't think that my roommate liked it quite as much as I did, but I was like, this is great because it's absurd. Um... (laughs) So, so yeah, kind of going back and forth, you know, maybe today I'll watch Oculus or I don't know, I'll watch like <laughs> Down in the I'm Delta. Having a mo- <laughs> I'm having a movie night with friends tonight and I think we've narrowed it down to either The Hunt for the Wilder People or Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> You know what? There's a, there's a relationship there. I can see that. There is, but after the week that I've had, I'm like, wow, that is not. <laughs> That's a good way to close out Saturday. Sheesh. Yeah. 
So that is what we have been up to, everybody. I think that that is going to close us out on this somewhat odd episode of Citizen Time. Um, we would apologize, but really, it's the fucking film Twitter boys that have to apologize. And Ansel Elgort owes us an apology. Yeah, if men would stop being trash. He doesn't, actually. He owes a lot of other people apologies. If, if men would stop being trash, that would be really awesome, because then we wouldn't have to talk about it. Uh, as, as always, we are very, very grateful, um, to the patrons who continue to patronize us. Haha. Um, and they, they are Heather, Adriana, Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. If you do want to subscribe to our Patreon, and we know that things are tough right now, and so no no judgment we do really really appreciate the people who are able to um that's patreon.com slash citizen dame if you want to get in touch with us we are available in a multitude of ways we are on twitter at citizen dame pod and also on instagram at citizen dame pod we are still on facebook facebook.com slash citizen dame you can shoot us an email um that's citizen dame pod at gmail.com and, of course, our website is citizendamepod.com, where we have reviews and commentaries and editorials and apparently me watching Nazi-era historical epics and trying to figure <laughs> out how you deal with them in 2020. Um, <laughs> you can also buy those masks that Karen is putting up and other things on our Zazzle store. And the, what is the Zazzle store, Karen? The one that's there now. Okay, so it's zazzle.com slash citizendamepod. Uh, we had some issues with the web address. We also have a Ko-Fi account if you just want to throw us a couple of dollars whenever you feel like it. That's ko-fi.com slash citizendame. And as always, you could get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business, calling men fucking idiots, really, pretty much 24-7. That's just what I do. Only the ones that are. <laughs> Only the ones that are. Although every once in a while, just like, I hate men. I hate them all. <laughs> all of them. And then my poor roommate is like, even me, it's just like, yes, you too. All of you. <laughs> are you a man? <laughs> <laughs> there are days there are days uh so thank you so much everybody for listening and we're gonna come back next week and we're gonna be talking about some interesting thing things i think we're gonna be talking about some silent films and going back more into maybe some of the lighter things in a certain sense but maybe i shouldn't say that too loudly uh (laughs) so thanks so much for listening we will talk to you guys later bye camp chippewa how charming What's a Chippewa? It's an old Indian word. It means orphan. Fresh air. The scent of pine. Wednesday. Look at all the other children. Their freckles, their bright little eyes, their eager, friendly smiles. Help them. Hi, I'm Amanda Buckman. Why are you dressed like that? Like what? Like you're going to a funeral. Why are you dressed like somebody died? Wait. Hi, Don Buckman. Isn't this place something else? Very exclusive. Really? Oh, yeah, a kid has to be extra special to get in here. Gifted. Exceptional. Our Amanda's already skipped two grades. How about your boy? Probation.